Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information, head to calvarystgeorges.org. And a very warm welcome to you to St. George's Church, part of the Parish of Calvary St. George's on this fourth Sunday of Lent. And on behalf of Jim Monroe and uh, the pilgrims uh, that just came back from the Holy Land, we want to say thank you for all of your prayers. Uh, They really did support us and carry us through this last pilgrimage. And as Jim said earlier, it's amazing to read that, uh, the book of Joshua, and know that just less than a week ago, we were looking out on the plains of Jericho and seeing all of that. But more on that in a minute. Um, our gospel reading, or on another time, but our gospel reading today is one of Jesus' most famous parables. And uh, it is the story of the prodigal son, as it's most uh, affectionately called. And every time I study this parable, I discover kind of uh, new insights, and old points are simply enriched. So brace yourself. Today I have 18 points, and uh, my sermon is about 2 hours and 34 minutes, so um, it is Lent after all. So, uh, but, uh, um, but here we go. This parable, though, is uh, very familiar to our ears, and it's so familiar that oftentimes we miss the point completely. Remember, parables are not fables. Parables are not about moralistic lessons at the end. Parables are earthly reflections of heavenly truths. Therefore, this parable is not so much a warm story about a wayward son coming home as it is a reflection on the human desire for independence from God and the good news of the gospel which is the total forgiveness of God and his great work to reconcile us back to himself. We all know the story. The story begins with the younger son asking his father for his inheritance now. In order to understand, though, the profundity of what's going on here, you have to understand that there is something extremely dark in this request. The younger son is not simply asking his father for an advance on his allowance. Rather, he is asking that his father drop dead. This is what's being asked. And Dr. Kenneth Bailey, a Near Eastern and New Testament scholar, he demonstrates that essentially what this younger son is requesting, as I just said, is that the father drop dead. And in his book, Peasants and Poets, fathers across the Middle East, and what Kenneth Bailey did was he examined the parables from, from like the Bedouin eyes. And he makes this point in his book that fathers across the Middle East, when asked what would happen to a son who made such a demand, all responded that that son would be run out by the community or killed and quite possibly by the eldest brother, in order that the father might save face. This is the seriousness of this offense in requesting for an inheritance early. However, in his research, and I just pointed this out with the organist, uh, Angelo, uh, this is something most Westerners miss. But every Middle Eastern father notices, because of the familial rules, take a look at your text. At the youngest son's request... The eldest son is silent. And even worse, the eldest son, with no articulated protest, willingly takes his half of the inheritance. Jesus makes this point pretty clear. Both 
take the inheritance from the Father. And so this is my first point, and it's a very important point when you're looking at this parable, how to understand it. And I never really noticed it before. This opening parable is not about a bad son and a good son. Rather, this instead, this is about two bad sons and their fulfillment of their ultimate desires. This is a parable about humanity and the two categories that we fall into in both extremes. You have Daytona Spring Break on one side, and you have the Department of Moral Behavior and Responsibility on the other. The parable illustrates that human desire, never mind the ethic, on its own deals with the self first. It longs for independence, so much so that we actually prefer the Father, we prefer God dead. This is what's being illustrated here. In their 1990 song, The Story of My Life, Social Distortion, which is one of my favorite bands, um, illustrates the fate of this young man when they sing, Good Times Come and Good Times Go. Young men receiving a large inheritance never, ever goes well. I knew a guy who received a $10 million inheritance in a house in Laguna Beach when he was 18 years old, and he was the coolest guy that I knew. However, by the time he was 25, his father was checking him into rehab, the house was destroyed, and his father was going to manage his last $500,000. It never goes well. And we see this in the story of the younger son. Talk about the pits. This Jewish boy winds up not only on a pig farm, which is the center of all that is unclean in Judaism, but that things are so bad that he longs to actually satisfy his hunger with the slop of the pigs. Sitting in the mud, he thinks to himself, I know what I'll do, and think about the last time you sat in the mud. I know what I'll do. I'll go to my father and say... I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm going to do. That will be work. And then maybe, maybe he'll treat me like one of your slaves. Like, that'll work. I'll I'll earn your love again. In other words, let's make a deal. Let me work for you. Let me earn my keep. But thanks be to God, there are no deals in the arms of our Heavenly Father. As the parable makes clear, We don't earn our way into God's love and grace. Rather, we are received and we are welcomed into it. The middle part of the parable illustrates the gospel profoundly, which begins not with the son, but with the father. Seeing his son essentially dead out on the horizon, he runs. He runs filled with compassion to give him an embrace and the giant kiss. And this is very significant because, as Aristotle once wrote, great men run for no one. If you've ever been to the Middle East, important men wear long robes, and for them to run would mean that they'd have to lift their robe up, and that would be for other people to see their ankles. This is a very, very powerful thing. Thanks be to God. We don't earn God's love or grace. Rather, he runs out to meet us. 
And when it comes to the community watching this father lift his gown, this would have, as Kenneth Bailey says, would have distracted the whole community and taken the shame away from the son and placed it upon the father. The son, he can only get out half of his speech, illustrating that repentance does not precede forgiveness. But with God, repentance is subsequent to forgiveness. And the father just doesn't stop there. He continues by clothing the son in fine robe and giving him shoes, declaring that he is not a slave, but a son, because only sons wear shoes. And then he gives the son his ring, which would have symbolized, and it would have been a signet ring, which would have symbolized not only that he's a son, but he's a free man carrying the complete trust and love of his father. And the cherry on top of this great thing is the banquet of a fatted calf, which would have reconciled the son not only to his father, but the father's community. What a story. What a powerful illustration. Because we're all prodigals who have, by what we have done and left undone, known and unknown, squandered our inheritance. Nevertheless, there's no earning with God. For the gospel says when it comes to his grace and mercy, there is only receiving. And there is only receiving because our God, in his Son, Jesus Christ, emptied himself of all of his perks and privileges, taking on human flesh and humbling himself in the lostness of our death. Jesus didn't squander his inheritance. Rather, in his goodness and mercy, he came into the pig pen of our sin and was baptized into it, crucified in the midst of it, and buried in it. Yet on the third day, he rose again from the dead and in victory has been seated at the right hand of the Father so that we might freely receive and be partakers of that glorious inheritance, making us truly living Truly free sons and daughters of the living God, you and I, right here, right now. And this is my second point. Baptized into the Son, you, a prodigal, are embraced by the Father. You, a prodigal, are found alive, claimed, redeemed, and raised, totally forgiven. Washed clean in the blood of the Lamb at baptism, clothed with a righteousness apart from yourself and continually nourished at the banquet with the bread that is his body and the wine that is his blood, hosted by the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This all in a moment is a foretaste and a sign of that which is still to come. And let me be clear, if you walk out with anything today, Let me be clear to you today that no matter what you have done, what you are currently doing, or what you will do, Christ has died for that. And God has forgiven you, and God loves you. So let me conclude with this. In his book, Tattoos on the Heart, Father Gregory Boyle, a Jesuit priest, who, much like the Father in our parable, lavishes love and grace on prodigal gangsters in downtown Los Angeles, tells a story that illustrates the plight of the older brother. Father Boyle was at a conference where four of his homeboys 
were sharing their story about how God had broken into their lives and with his grace redeemed them from their former lifestyle. It was a powerful moment. And at the end of the event, a woman came out of the crowd whose son had been beaten by gangsters. And in rage, she attacked Father Boyle, hurling profanities at him. She slapped him several times. She looked at him and said, you jerk, you jerk, curse you. How could you ever love these animals? And filled with rage and self-righteousness, she completely missed the miracle of resurrection in these men's lives. But this is the thing, and the problem with this parable sometimes is that it can flip us younger brothers into older brothers without us even knowing it and be like, ha, 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 he's left out. Thank God I'm in. You know what I mean? And sometimes we can put the earmuffs of God's love and his mercy on our ears and miss this profound call. We just had a profound reading at St. George's on Friday night called The Last Days of Judas Iscariot, which is sort of a midrash, and it illustrates a profound idea that the gates of hell are probably unlocked. But the truth is, is that we love to sit in our resentment. We love to stew in our anger that someone might have got away with something and miss the lavish gift of God's grace. We love to sit in our self-righteousness and we miss the fact and rejoice in the fact that someone might have gotten away with something. And so this is my third point. The gospel. The gospel, which says victimizers get off the hook. It can be enraging to people who see themselves as basically good who see themselves as only victims and never victimizers. Hence why this parable is not told to just anybody. It's told to Pharisees and scribes and the Pharisees and scribes in each and every one of us. So busy worried about and resenting what other people are doing. Like the eldest son, we wind up creating God in our own resentful image and miss the heavenly banquet that we are called and belong to. In the end, not the younger brother, and most certainly not the father, but the elder brother was the one who excluded himself from the party. The powerful thing about that play, The Last Days of Judas Iscariot, is that it has Judas sitting in hell, and for eternity, Jesus washing Judas' feet with his tears. This is the extent of God's love for you and I that meets us right where we're at Never forget this. Only those who see themselves as sinners, and we live in an age where everyone is just so self-righteous in their own rightness. But this is the counterintuitiveness of the gospel, and even the church is missing this. Only those who see themselves as sinners will rejoice in the repentance of a sinner. And only those who see themselves as rebels will join the feast of rebels every Sunday, what we call here the Eucharist. Jesus, our brother, the Father's Son, went to the depths to save us. He was dead, but now he lives, and you were found and live in him. And the Father simply has to celebrate. And so the feast is ready. It's ready for you. And you, sinner, are called to it today in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast, produced and recorded at the Parish of Calvary St. George's. 
in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of the parish, you can make an online donation at calvarystgeorges.org slash giving. Thank you.